0: If you have a copy of the Scriptures, I would invite you to look with me in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We're going to be looking at chapters 1 and 2 today. I'm going to read a selection from those two chapters for you. Before I do that, I want to kind of set up the, the year and the new series we started that Eric started last week. Um, you know, if you're just visiting with us, normally we pick a book of the Bible and we work our way through it consecutively. Um, this year we're going to do something a little different. We're actually going to look at the whole Bible this year. So we're going to work our way from Genesis to Revelation this year to see that the Bible is actually one story. And in saying that it's one story, we want you to know that it has four parts. Here are the four parts, creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. A lot of us grew up hearing, if we heard anything about the Bible, we might have heard about sin or rebellion and redemption, but we weren't taught that much about creation or the renewal of all things. And therefore, our understanding of the Bible is oftentimes disproportional. So it's important for us to think about the Bible as one consecutive book that all fits together in this four-part story of creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. And within that four-part story, I want you to remember these five statements. So we got five statements to try to, that you can think about, um, hide in your heart, uh, see how they're illustrated as we go through the book this year. So here are the five statements. Statement number one, God has always had a people. He has always been building his church. From day one, he's always had a people. He's always been building his church. Number two, evil is absolutely real, but it never gets the last word. Three, grace. God initiates, God pursues, and God saves. Grace. Cover to cover, grace from Genesis to Revelation, grace. He did it, number four. Jesus actually accomplished something through his life and death and resurrection. He didn't just make something possible. He actually literally accomplished something. And if you believe that, that changes everything about how you look at everything, including yourself, to think that he actually accomplished something. We think he is a literal savior. He actually saves people. Five, everything is moving toward Jesus. Everything in history, Everything in your life, the ups, the downs, everything in our culture, everything is moving toward Jesus. So, if you get those four parts and you get those five statements, you might understand the whole Bible. And hopefully those will help you understand the whole Bible. And here's how they're related. The four-part story is like the blueprint, and those five statements are like the finished product. We'll work these out through this whole year. So listen to this. I'm going to read from Genesis 1 and 2. Start in the beginning. Listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and the fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the waters swarm the swar- with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now we're going to shift to chapter two. And in shifting to chapter two, This chapter in Genesis focuses our attention more on mankind and what God is doing on the earth. And it gives us all kinds of details that we don't get in chapter one. So chapter two is not a separate account of creation that contradicts chapter one. It's a continuation. Chapter one's like, here's the big framework. And chapter two focuses us in on more details about how he made man and what was going on in the garden. So listen to this. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made a spring made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, hoo -ah." That's actually somewhat of a version of what the original says, actually. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Woman. Because she was taken out of man. You can't get more expressive of a man seeing a woman for the first time and thinking, wow, this is amazing. (laughs) Then, verse 24: Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. How about that? Naked and not ashamed. I read a book one time that used this simple phrase, it was a pornless world with naked glory. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we thank you for this passage of scripture. It's amazing. It's beautiful. We ask that you would help us to understand it. Lord, work this four-part story into our lives that we might live into it because it is reality. No matter how much we try to create our own, no matter how much we try to fight what is real, thank you for giving us this amazing book. Thank you for giving it to us that we might study it and learn and grow and be refreshed and understand ourselves better and understand the world and even see you, Jesus the word made flesh. So we ask Holy Spirit that you would work in our minds, that you would work in our hearts, that you would would change us, that you would redirect our wills, that you would um, align our emotions with what is true. We ask that you would do a complete work on us in everything that we are and say and do and think. Take the good news and work that into us. We pray this In the name of Jesus, amen. I want you to open up a portal, a new portal in your mind. It's a portal of goodness. I want you to open up your mind with the possibility of exploring goodness. The way to understand goodness means this. If we're going to open up this portal and we're going to, try to understand goodness, the way that we're going to do that is we have to go to a place that we haven't been before. It's a real place. Genesis 1 and 2 is real. It's a real place. We just haven't been there. But we need to go there because it is a place that stands against every fabrication of God. It's a place that stands against everything that is untrue. It's a place in which it is abundantly clear that there aren't multiple true gods. It's a place that makes abundantly clear that we aren't God and God isn't everything. It's a place in which we get to live from fullness, Not deficit. It's a place in which we understand that matter is not eternal. It's a place that stands against every fabrication of God and everything that is not true. It's a place that comes with this endorsement. It was very good. And I know we like to be hyperbolic in the age and time in which we live, but let me tell you, this is as straightforward and as glorious as it gets, it was very good. And oh, by the way, God said that one. We need to go to that place. Are you willing to open up a new portal in your mind and explore goodness? Are you willing to step into that? Because if you are, that's what we're going to try to do. And on our journey through Genesis 1 and 2, here are our two stops in thinking about goodness and exploring goodness and by God's grace, stepping into goodness. Here are our two stops. We're going to look at the creator and creation. And secondly, we're going to look at enjoying the creator and his goodness. Got it? So we're going to think about the creator and creation and we're going to think about enjoying the Creator and His goodness. So let's jump in. The Creator and the Creature. The first verse starts off by telling us that God created. Do you see that? In the beginning, God created. It's amazing. How about that for a starting point? God begins by saying, I created. It means that this book, the Bible, the story of reality, of what actually is, is the story of God. That God is the central figure. That God is the most important being in the entire universe. That everything is derivative of Him. It means that He created, He started by speaking. It means that when you look at this word and think about this idea of God and you read Genesis 1 and you read the rest of the scriptures, what you find out is this one God is actually in three persons. Do you notice that? The, the verb that's used here in verse one, God created, the verb create is only ascribed to deity in the Bible. That's as far as I know. I'm no Hebrew scholar, but that's what my study tells me. That this verb for create only is attributed to the divine being of God. And beyond that, look at verse two. You find the Holy Spirit. So if you've grown up thinking that the Holy Spirit doesn't make an appearance until, Acts, until the New Testament in Acts chapter two, no, he makes an appearance in verse two of the book, the first book in the first chapter. And he is there hovering over the waters. Do you see that? In other words, what God is speaking and creating, this is giving you a snapshot of what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing from verse 3 to the end of the world. That God speaks and the Holy Spirit hovers over what God creates and he puts form and shape and distinction and depth and beauty to it. So that what God creates is beautiful when he speaks it into existence and the Holy Spirit comes along and says, guess what I can do with this? And he starts adding shape and form and depth and division and beauty so that things are orderly, so that things make sense, so that things fit together. Doesn't that sound like what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life? If you believe in Jesus, that's what he's doing in your life, if you don't believe in Jesus, he's messing with you. Not in any other way other than to get you outside of yourself, he's not toying with you. He's helping you see that you need something outside of yourself because life is a mess. And with Jesus, it's still a mess. You just got Jesus. So the Spirit is working in all of this. And then we read in John 1 that nothing was made that was made without who? The Son of God. So that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all working in creation. They are creating. So let's summarize. God speaks and things appear. God calls or names things and labels things. God divides what he has created and separates. It means that God creates things. It means that God produces patterns in the world, like seasons. It means that God creates situations. It means that God establishes processes by which things occur in the world. God set up everything at every single layer. He even empowered the earth so that the earth could make stuff happen. You remember reading that? Trees may grow and birds reproduce and he sets things in motion so that the earth is empowered to make stuff happen. He even created mankind, male and female, as responsible agents that are able to make decisions that are built to be accountable and built to be dependent. And oh, by the way, he made mankind to live forever. This is our God. This is what Genesis 1 and 2 is telling us about God. In our tribe, we love to think about God first and foremost as being sovereign. Right? That's something we love to talk about all the time. Guess what? There's a downside to that sometimes too. Let me tell you what it is. Because I've seen it in my own life. So maybe this doesn't apply to you. You just get a window into Dave's life. You see, starting with thinking, to start thinking about God as being sovereign can, doesn't have to, but can lead to this. A very cold, matter of fact, not very emotionally mature kind of person, where it's just, God's sovereign. Stop. And what this is telling us, what the whole Bible is telling us, is that there is a shape to the sovereignty of God. There is a heart to the sovereignty of God. What this is telling us is that the shape of God's sovereignty is that He is good It is that he is loving. It is that our sovereign God is relational, not cold and clinical. Like I often thought, sovereignty of God means power and control, full stop. No! God is all powerful, of course. But God is good and he is loving. And he is relational in his sovereignty. And that's what we learn here. That's what this account of creation tells us about God. He's amazing. Well, that's the creator. Let's think about the creature. Let's think about what was created. If you go back through and read chapter one, we'll start here. Look at days one through six. Again, we got to do this quickly because I don't have all day. But days one through six, look at how they parallel each other. It's amazing. Day one, God creates light and darkness. Parallels what happens on day four when God puts stars in the sky and provides light for night and light during the day. Day two, what do you see? That God separates the sea from the heavens, the sky. And what does he do on day five? He creates birds to fly around in the air. and He creates animals that are made for water. Day three, what happens? The earth is formed. And what happens on day six? You see how these fit? Day six, God establishes that there are going to be creatures that are going to live on land. And then ultimately, mankind to live on the land. Male and female. Then, You look as you read Genesis 1 and 2, and what else do you see? You see that there are trees, special trees that God highlights for us. One tree is the tree of life. Remember reading that? And the other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. These trees function like uh, see-through doors. You, You can look through them and see what happens if you go through them. So the tree of life, if you go that route and go into that tree and through that tree, you get life forevermore. And if you follow the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and go through that door, guess what happens? Curse and the need of redemption. You know something of the rest of the story with that, don't you? But God sets it up so that we can see these trees because guess what? They show up throughout the Old Testament. And they show up ultimately in Revelation where we have the tree of life. Remember this? And then God also sets a river in the middle of the garden. Did you catch that? River of life. And what does it do? It waters all of the garden so that all the trees can be nourished. It even waters the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then it goes out from the garden into the rest of the world, breaks up into four rivers that are representative of the rest of the world. In other words, what is life-giving comes from God's presence and it satisfies what is near it and it is meant to expand and develop and go outward into the whole world. By the way, that river shows up again, doesn't it? Shows up again in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel in the temple as a river that is gaining momentum and building up steam and getting getting deeper and deeper. Do you remember this? And it continues on into the book of Revelation where we also have the river of life again. God is setting up his creation. He's establishing everything so that all fits together and makes sense. We even see not only the tree, not only the river, but friends, there's more. We see mankind. God creates mankind. And what he does is he creates us in his image. Now let me tell you what that means. The Greek word for this is icon. Let me tell you what this means. So on my computer, if you were to go open up my laptop in my my office, you would open up and at the bottom of my uh, screen, there'd be these little icons. You know what they are. And you click on the icon because it opens up the world that you want to explore. When God creates mankind, we're like little icons that when you click on and explore, you get to see all of who God is. Because mankind is meant to represent God and reflect God. So by looking at people and looking at human beings, whether they are young or old, male or female, you get to see something of God. So as you explore human beings, and as you're interested in their minds and what they say and what they do and how they live, you're understanding something of God. Do you see and when God created mankind in his image, it was meant that we would cover the earth and display his glory everywhere, in everything, so that no matter where you go, there would always be a reminder of the beauty and the wonder and the creativity of God, the great creator. That's you, you are supposed to image God. You're beautiful. God created you as special beings that have incredible worth. You will live forever so that God can be on display everywhere for all time. Isn't that amazing? And if that isn't enough, God not only creates us in his image, but look at what the text says. He immediately blessed them. He created them male and female, and then it says, and, verse 28 of chapter one, and God blessed them. Which means that God was promising to be with us no matter what. That he created us to think, he created us as responsible creatures, he created us to live forever, to be dependent on him, and that he would be with us. Not bad, huh? Are are you enjoying going through this portal and exploring goodness? It's kinda nice, isn't it? I'm not gonna lie, I was looking forward to preaching this. (laughs) And not only does God bless, but he gives marriage. He gives marriage. He creates woman and really Adam sees her for the first time and is like, what? What am I going to do with this? And God says, I'll tell you. You're going to get to be one flesh. And yes, that means sex. You're going to get to enjoy that. You're made for that. Matter of fact, the text talks about how the woman is man's counterpart. In some ways, she is the opposite. And that's good. Men, we need that. Ladies, we need that. God set this up to be blessing, and this marriage, uh, there's no competition. There's no power struggle. There's no um, selfishness going on. Not that any of your relationships have any part. Mm. Yeah, back to goodness. (laughs) We were made to be in relationships that weren't about a power struggle, weren't about selfishness, weren't about... I'm so immature and Jenny's so mature. We're not supposed to be that. That's not the way God made it. God made it to be good so that we would work together and complement one another and have dominion and fill the earth. God gave us a calling to fill the earth, spread his glory everywhere and in everything. You see, we were not created to live by deficit, We're created to live from the fullness of God. We're not created to be lonely. We're created to be in community. We're not created to have a purposeless existence or to feel like life is meaningless. God created us to have meaning and purpose and to be in community and live from fullness. Wouldn't that be amazing if we could do that? This is the good life. That's what God's saying, this is the good life. This is what I made for you. And then, oh, it gets better. Then what happens on day seven? Rest. God looks at what he has made and he delights in it. Rest does not mean inactivity. Some places it does, but not this. When God says rest on one day a week, he's not saying be completely inactive and be a lazy slob. It means that you actually delight in what God delights in when you rest. It means that you see his work and you praise what he has done and what he is doing. It means that you get caught up with him. It means that you see how things fit together when God is in the center of everything. It means when God defines life and defines who I am and defines my meaning and defines everything about me and defines the world and defines where everything is going, it means that I can have rest. Anytime I live outside of that, I'm not going to have rest. Internally, I am not at rest. But when God is in the center, there's rest. There's hope. There's beauty, there's wonder, there's exploration, there's delight. Well, how about we go to step two, enjoying the creator and his goodness. So let me ask you these questions so you can think about your life as I was thinking about mine this week. So we walk through this portal of goodness and hopefully, hopefully you want to be there. But let's think about our life, too. Like right now, the here and now life that we all have. So think about this. Is your life characterized by order or disorder? Are you living into the reality of this four-part story or are you fighting it, trying to create your own? Do you feel that life has meaning or You feel like it's pointless. Does your life consist of a seemingly endless to do list? Is there any part of your life that has the label of creativity? How about this? Are you lonely and fine with it? Are you striving for community? Do you only hang out with people? Do you only hang out in situations where everybody's like you? Are you okay with a little contradiction in your life? Are you hanging out with people that compliment you? And I don't mean they say good things about you. I mean, you just work well together because you do things differently and think differently and you can tell that you're growing Better off because you have people in your life that see things differently than you do. Does busyness equal your worth? In other words, the the busier you are, the more you feel like you're worth something. Are you fighting for rest? Or you can slow down? In other words, Have you figured out what you need to say yes to and what you need to say no to? How about, are you receiving the identity that God has? Are you busy crafting it and building it, guarding it, protecting it? Don't you feel the tension here? see, the way things supposed to be is not exactly the way that things are right now. Right? But I tell you what, this passage insinuates that there is movement, that something more is happening. Look at verse one. In the beginning. Notice that? It's not just... A timestamp. It's actually implying that there's more. It implies that there is a if there's a beginning, then there is a middle, and and end. As if God is setting the world up because it's going to be going somewhere, moving toward something. There's a hint here that God is at work that goodness is going to prevail. You see, the only way that we can experience this goodness is Jesus, it's the only way. That we can experience the goodness of what is described in Genesis one and two is Jesus. You remember Peter had a conversation with Jesus Jesus says, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, no, I'm not. Peter was not not living in reality. He was living, fighting reality. Thinking he was a whole lot better than he was. Remember what Jesus says to him. But I've prayed for you. Beloved, the only way that we get into true reality is through Jesus, And to grow means that Jesus is going to be teaching us how much we need to learn about ourselves. To grow means that we are going to learn that we fall short and Jesus knows it. But here's the kicker. Jesus prays for you. You remember that's what he said to Peter? You're gonna deny me, Peter. No, I'm not. Yes, you are, Peter, but I have prayed for you. Friends, do you know that the day is coming in which we will look at our lives and what we've been through and the hardships and the joys and we will realize one day how Jesus had been praying for us? Now, make no mistake, it means the world to me that you all pray for me, especially over these last two years. I can't, I don't have words to describe my thankfulness. But all of your prayers, plus Jesus Himself praying for me, Jesus is praying for you. That should blow you away. Do you remember? Do you remember this guy who was out of his mind? Jesus pulled up on the shore, and this guy was living in this little wooded community, and he came screaming down the bank to meet Jesus. Do you remember this story? Just full on sprint as Jesus was getting out of the boat. This guy comes right to Jesus' face, and Jesus doesn't flinch. He's lonely. He's isolated. No one loves him. No one cares about him. He is unloved until that day. The only way for you to be healed, for you to get out of your loneliness and into community is Jesus. The way to deal with your hardships, the way to deal with thinking that you are unloved is to look to the cross and recognize the empty tomb. That's it. Nothing else will heal you. Nothing else will get you in your right mind. Nothing else could actually deeply convince you that you're loved other than Jesus on the cross and Jesus walking out of the tomb. Do you remember the time that Jesus visited Mary and Martha? Remember that? Jesus shows up and let me tell you, Martha is in a tizzy. She is serving people. She is selflessly thinking about other people. And she is busy. And she is anxious. And she is worried. And she's confused. And she's not sure what's going on, but doggone it, she is going to serve people and put other people first, and she is going to be busy. And Jesus says, You're pretty worried and anxious. You need to sit at my feet and rest. Those of you that are busy, and that equals your worth. Thankful that in the best days you're doing it to serve people. Wonderful. Thinking about others more than yourself, perhaps, at least on occasion. But do you take time to sit at the feet of Jesus and find rest in him? You remember Paul? This was the guy that thought he was doing everything right. Knew the Bible, honoring God with his life knowing the Scriptures, following the Scriptures. And guess what? He was outwardly religious. He was put together. He was passionate. People followed him. And inside, he was bankrupt and empty. Does that sound familiar? Got all the outward stuff right, but inside, you just feel empty, bankrupt. Bankrupt. See, the only thing that was going to change Paul and fix Paul is Jesus. Paul had to realize, like many of us, we don't only need to repent and acknowledge our bad things, but we got to repent of all of our goodness and how much we're clinging to all of our religious stuff, like Paul was. He had to repent of all of his good things, at least he thought were good. At least he thought they were getting them somewhere. At least he thought he was being passionate for the Lord. They brought nothing to him but emptiness. The only way we can experience goodness is through Jesus.